What is faith? What is faith? Faith is critical to our relationship with the Lord, but it is difficult to define and it seems at times to be even harder to practice. What is faith? Years ago, one philosopher said faith is a leap into the dark. You just jump and hope for the best, that your feet are going to land somewhere. Faith has been described as positive thinking. You just think positive enough about something, it will happen. If you think your way positively enough through life, it'll happen. Is faith blind trust in the, fa- in the face of reality that seems to tell you the exact opposite? I'm just going to believe even though everything around me is telling me the exact opposite of what I'm seeing. If those definitions that I just gave are what faith is, then faith has been taking a beating the last few months. Because it's been hard to positive think. It's been difficult to take leaps into the dark of a future that seems so uncertain. If it's all about blind trust in the midst of what at times seems tremendously out of whack, then faith's been taking a beating. Probably going to continue to take a beating. But from the biblical perspective, that is not what faith is. Faith is a confident trust in the person and promises of God. I want to say that again. Faith is a confident trust in the person and promises of God. Faith is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I will allude to this in more detail later in the message, but I cannot stress this part strong enough. Faith is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith is not grounded in my feelings. Faith is not grounded in my circumstances. Faith is not grounded in my ability to work up faith. Faith is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And faith is sure and faith is confident because it is grounded in the resurrection. And when we try to ground faith anywhere else but the resurrection, we're going to be in major trouble sooner or later. But if our faith is grounded in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, then we're on sure ground. How does faith grow? It grows by exposure to the Word of God. As you and I are exposed, we expose ourselves to the reading of the Word, the studying of the Word, meditating on the Word of God, digesting the Word of God into our lives, allowing the Word of God to become part of us, our faith will grow. The Scripture says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. One of the reasons that we get into the Word every day is not just to have this practice that we go through. It is rather for our faith as it is exposed to the Word to grow and to develop. So what is faith? Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And the Lord willing, start next Sunday, I'll have sermon outlines available for you uh, again that you can pick up uh, as you come in. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be looking over these next few weeks at a detailed study of the 11th and 12th chapters of the book of Hebrews because they are what you might want to call the faith chapters. And the 11th chapter of Hebrews is what we sort of call that roll call of the great heroes of the faith from the Old Testament period. 
The book of Hebrews does not have an author. And if you love to read Bible commentaries, you will see that everybody's got a different idea as to who wrote the book of Hebrews. The bottom line is nobody really knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Just as an aside, I personally think a guy by the name of Apollos may well have been the writer of Hebrews. I don't think it was Paul. And the reason for that is if you look at study New Testament Greek and you read the writings of Paul and then you read Hebrews, it's two different types of Greek. Hebrews is the closest we get to classical Greek in the New Testament. When I was a student in seminary and I had assignments for my Greek class to translate into work in Hebrews, I always knew I needed to have my Bible, my New Testament Greek, and a bottle of Tylenol uh, because I was in for a headache that night trying to work through uh, the translation and so forth. It's just very challenging. Fascinating that the recipients here were long to be seen by the author, and they, he wanted to be united with them. The author passes on greetings from those, he says, who are in Italy. And we think that either he was in Italy when he wrote the book of Hebrews or just outside of Italy in the company of Italians. And he was writing to those in the area of Rome. Now, I'm going to be just a while here for a minute. I just want to imagine him sitting there writing the book of Hebrews with Italians around him, enjoying some pizza or lasagna, and then finish it up with some uh, gelato uh, after it was over with. Uh, If you ever get to Italy and you can get gelato, I just encourage you to. It puts American ice cream to shame. It has the best tasting stuff. Every night we were over there, I found some excuse to try to get over there and get some of that gelato. The reason for his writing is that these folks who are receiving this letter have gone through tremendous suffering. And they are about to go through more suffering. They have known what it is to be in prison. They have known what it is to have their property plundered. Their faith has been challenged. And when your faith is challenged, it will either develop and grow like a muscle when you're lifting weights... Tearing it down so you can build it up. Or your faith's going to be dissolved. And you'll just give up. And so their faith is being challenged here. And the writer opens the 11th chapter. By defining what faith is. What is faith? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation or their witness or testimony. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commanded, excuse me, commended, as having pleased God. What is faith? Faith is the title deed. Faith is the title deed to the person and promises of God. 
Let me say that again. Faith is the title deed to the promises and person of God for us to have and experience. Notice how he begins. His faith, he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some of these key words in this passage, and I'm going to explore the nuances of meaning here. I apologize, I don't have sermon notes, so you're welcome to grab something out of the pew if you want to take notes, etc., as I go hit some of these key words. Faith is the assurance. The word translated assurance there means steadiness of mind, which holds someone firm. In other words, you're not vacillating, moving all over the place. Your mind is focused. Your mind is steady. So he's saying that faith produces within us an assurance and a steadiness and a focus of mind. Now, the word that is translated assurance here was taken from the business world of its day, and it was used in reference to documents that were signed to guarantee the transaction. In other words, it was like signing a contract. If you've ever signed a contract for anything, you have that document that's laid out in front of you, and both parties are making commitments in that contract one to another. Both sign the contract, and when the contract is signed, you hold that document up and you say, I am assured that I have acquired whatever it is that you are acquiring because I've got this document that proves that I've got it. I don't have to feel like I've got it. I don't have to wake up in the morning and have good vibes whether I've got you know, whatever I signed for. It belongs to me. I know it is there because of the document that's been signed. Well, that is the idea behind the word assurance. Faith is the assurance. The document, the contract between us and God has been signed by the Lord, committed himself to us. Now, notice what he says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What are the things that we're hoping for? What's on the contract? What has God signed on to? What do we have the assurance of? And I want to move through these with you because right now, I think one of the areas that we as a nation, we as a world, and we as the body of Christ are struggling in right now is hope. How do we have hope? What are we hoping for? Well, it's the assurance of the things that we're hoping for. So what do we as Christians hope for? Instead of just a short sermon. What are you hoping for this morning? All right? And by the way, if that's your hope, you're in bad shape this morning, okay? So what are you hoping for this morning? Let's go through some of the things that we hope for. We are, first of all, from Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13. So what am I hoping for, first of all? I am hoping for the appearing of the Lord Jesus. I am hoping for the appearing, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, every morning when I get up as a follower of Jesus, my first hope, my blessed hope, my foremost hope is that this may be the day that Jesus comes again. I don't live just looking at today. Every believer lives looking with one eye towards tomorrow, towards the future, with the hope that Jesus is coming again. So that's our first hope. Second hope from 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
How are we born again to that living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a static hope, but a living hope. And how does that hope live? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My hope is grounded and fueled and empowered by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what fuels my hope. I get up every morning with a hope not that's locked in history somewhere. I get up with a hope not that is just contained in a church document or in creed or a constitution. I have a hope that is grounded and it is alive and is active because Jesus has risen from the dead. I can't stress that enough. Our hope is not grounded in what the condition is of the church from one week to the next. It is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. He walked out of that grave. He continues to walk around this earth. You can get up and go through your day if you and I are cognitive of it without bumping into him over and over and over again because he is alive. And when you and I gather in worship, we bump into him all over the place when we begin to worship him. We are honored when we gather together, not by what we look like, smell like, act like, but we are honored that Jesus is among us. And while we have gathered is to worship Him. So, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Third hope, 1 John chapter 3. First cause, next cause for hope, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Beloved, let's go back to that one. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, the best is yet to come. But we know that when He, that is when Jesus appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. He's not laying aside any of His glory when He comes again. We're going to see Him in the full manifestation of who He is. Now verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him does what? Purifies himself as He is pure. Why do you and I purify ourselves? That is, why do we confess our sin? Why do we try to live right with the Lord? Why do we allow the Holy Spirit of God to, you know, work us over and work us through to keep us close to Him? Because we put our hope in Him. He purifies Himself even as He is pure. And that is the idea that because I am looking forward to being in His presence and being with Him and walking with Him, I am allowing Him to purify me and make me right with Him because Jesus is the one who is purifying me and Jesus is the standard by which I am purified. In other words, I'm not satisfied with my sin. I'm not satisfied with who I am until He is satisfied with me. Now, finally, what is the final thing here of the assurance, those things that we're hoping for? Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign with Him forever and ever. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign Forever and ever. Our final hope is that we're going to reign with Him forever and ever. Our final hope, that thing that we're hoping for, 
is that we're going to be in a place with Him that there is no need of a lamp, no need of sun. You see, heaven does not have any light except the presence and person of Jesus because it doesn't need any light other than the presence and person of Jesus. And any light other than Jesus would just fade in comparison to the awesome light of who He is. And we will reign for Him, with Him forever and ever. So now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Next word, the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. In other words, I've got a conviction, a certainty, that things exist in the kingdom of God that I cannot see with these eyes, that I cannot feel with these hands, that I don't necessarily hear with these ears. Now, the word con- translated conviction here is the key word in this passage. I cannot stress it enough. It's like the hinge on which the whole passage turns. So let's camp out on this word, translated conviction. The word there means that which stands up under anything. In other words, it's like the foundation of a building. If you've got a building, the strength of your building is going to be the foundation of your building. So the word here, the conviction of things, it's like the foundation of the building. It's like a contract on a job or a promise in a relationship. When two folks get married, what do they do? They pledge themselves to each other in a relational contract. That's the idea of the word here. It was used in that day to speak of a guaranteeing title or deed. A guaranteeing title or deed. Let me illustrate it this way. Faith is the title. Faith is the the deed. Let's say that you had a relative, a wealthy relative. It's our fantasy, so we can make it up as big as we want this morning, okay? How many of you all wish you had a wealthy relative that really thought a lot of you? And that relative dies, And you are summoned by the lawyer to come and hear the reading of the will. And they look at you and they say, you have been given their home. It is now yours. That big, beautiful, majestic home is now yours. But let's say you've never seen the home, you've just heard about it. And then they hand you the title to that home. And you sign your name on the title, on the deed, which means you own it. You've never seen the house. You've never stepped into the house. But you own the house. How do you know that you own the house? Because your name is on the deed. You don't have to see the house to own the house. You don't have to walk into the house to own the house. You don't have to stand in the house and feel it and touch it and smell it to own the house. You own the house because your name is on the deed. Have you ever been in a house that you wanted to own, but your name wasn't on the deed, so you knew you were there for a very brief period of time because you didn't own the house? But if your name's on the deed and you own the house, it's yours. Now, many of you that I'm preaching to this morning live in houses where you're paying mortgage payments. And your name is not on the deed. 
the, loan, the institution that loaned you the money. That's who's on the deed. So you don't really own your home. You are managing your home right now on behalf of a lending institution. I knew I could encourage you somehow this morning. And that's the way I was going to do that. But when you pay that thing off, then your name goes on the deed instead of the lending institution. But your relative has given you that house. That is the idea of faith. Faith means that my name is on the deed to the promises of God, to knowing the person of God, to having heaven is my eternal home. Faith means that I have a certainty that my name is on the deed. The contents of the house are the promises of Scripture. Now, how do I know that I've got all of this? You say, Pastor, that sounds wonderful, that all the promises in the Bible mean that I've got that. Faith means that all the promises in the Bible are mine. Faith means that heaven is mine for eternity. Faith means that I can know and walk with the Lord God Almighty. Faith means that everything from Genesis to Revelation, as I get to know it, I can claim it and work it and live in it. But how do I know all of that is true? How do I? Because I haven't done anything to earn this deed. I haven't bought it out. And you're right, we haven't done a blooming thing to claim it. The reason that we've got a right to the deed is that the house, the contents, the promises of God and everything was bought and paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross by the life and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why that old hymn says, my faith is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. Not built on my feelings. It's based on His blood and His righteousness. He bought it on the cross and he sealed the deed for eternity when he walked out of the grave three days later. Faith, as I said earlier, ultimately rests on the resurrection. It builds from the resurrection. Faith is sure. I know I've got a right to the promises of God and to believe God and trust God and live in certainty. Why? Because the tomb is empty and he is alive. Now notice what he says. It is the conviction of things not seen. I haven't seen it all yet. I haven't experienced it all yet. You remember old Thomas? Jesus is alive. Thomas says, I've got to see him, and I've got to put my hands into the nail prints. In other words, Thomas is saying, I'm struggling with faith. And we all struggle like Thomas did. Faith is like seeing that invisible spiritual kingdom with certainty, with spiritual night goggles, that enable us to see what these eyes will never be able to to see and to trust with certainty in God. Now what he moves on with through here, verses 2 through 5 is some of the leaders of the Old Testament who demonstrated by faith. Let's go to verse 2. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. In other words, the names that he is about to give us a list of, and we're going to look at just a few of them this morning, but the names that he is listing here, these are folks that received a commendation from God. In other words, God said they were legit, they were heroes, and He rewarded to them and He testified to them because of their faith. It's not that they were great big 
talented people. It was rather the fact that they believed God. For by it the people of old received their commendation. In other words, they received God's mark of approval. God said, you're on it, you're legit, you're one of my heroes. Why? Because you have chosen to believe me. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Notice where he starts this journey of faith. He says that our faith is, empowers us to understand that God created everything. But he doesn't stop there. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was created. But how was it created? By the word of God. So that what is seen with these physical eyes was not made out of things that are visible. Now, the Bible says over in the book of Genesis that when God created, he created out of nothing. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Faith enables us to realize, empowers us to realize that God created and spoke creation out of absolutely nothing. God had nothing to work with and chose to have nothing to work with when he created. It was created by the invisibility of the mouth of God and the hand of God. Matter is not eternal. Only God is. Nothing in this world that we see, that we touch, that we feel, that we listen to, that matter is not eternal. Only God is eternal. If you go all the way back, you can't avoid God. I'm not going to get into a debate on theories of origins this morning, but whatever theory of origins you look at, you end up with God. Because you go back and you go back and you go back, but you've got to have a beginning somewhere. And where is the beginning? It's God. You're always going to bump into Him at the end of the road. You can't get around Him at the end of the road. Because that's where it all started, is with Him. You right, run right into His big voice and His creative hand. But the thing I love about God is He continues to create. Creation is not just something in the past. He creates every day. The universe is constantly expanding. Why is that? Because God is so full of creative power, He cannot contain Himself. Every day He has to continue to create because it just oozes out of His being. God does not stand before science. Science stands as a result of Him. But science is a call to explore to discover, to investigate what God has and is creating. Now, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, let me give you the, the background on this. Because when I read this and started studying it this week, I was like, what in the world is he talking about? It was one of those verses I thought, well, I'll just skip this and go to verse 5. Maybe nobody will notice. Uh, but we're going to delve into it, okay? He says here in verse 4, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. And Abel is shown as one of the first examples of what it means to worship and to serve God by faith. Here's the story. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you got two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain the oldest, Abel the youngest. 
Cain worked out on the farm, so to speak. He raised crops, vegetables, the whole bit. Abel, rather, was more into working with animals. So when it came time for them to present their offering to the Lord, Abel takes the best and the firstborn that he's got of his animals, and he kills that and brings that as an offering to God. Cain goes out and picks a bunch of vegetables, and he brings that to God. God looks at Abel's offering, and he says, I accept what you're giving. He looks at Cain's offering, and he says, I don't accept what you're bringing. And Cain throws a hissy fit. He gets mad. In fact, he gets so mad that God says, sin is lurking at your door. You better get your attitude straight now. Now, what's the issue here? It's very, very interesting. In the story in Genesis, it says that Abel brought the firstborn and the best. Whereas Cain brought his offering. Don't say a word about it being the best. This is what I think the writer here is saying about the faith of Abel and the lack of the faith on Cain's part. When Abel gave his offering, he went and he said, I believe with certainty that God Almighty is who he says he is. That he is the creator of this universe. That he is awesome. That he is all-powerful. And he is the best. So he should get nothing from me but what is the first and what is the best. So I'm going to go here into my flock and I'm going to find the firstborn and I'm going to find the best of the firstborn and I'm going to give that to God as a gift to Him, as an offering, as an act of worship to say to God, God, you get the best that I've got. You get the first of what I've got because I've got faith in your holiness, your power, your glory, and all that you are and the value of my offering is my statement of faith in how awesome you are. Cain, on the other hand, goes out there and he says, eh, I'm going to pick a few vegetables here and put them together. No big deal. In fact, I'll probably leave the best stuff for me. So when I finish this service of worship, I'll come on home and get what I want. I'm going to eat the best carrots and the best spinach and so forth. So God, here's my offering. I'm not really into this. I'm just going through the motions because i got to go through the motions. i got to get through this. I really could care less. I don't really think, God, you're that involved in it. You're paying that much attention to it either. And I really want the best for me because at the end of the day, I'm really what counts. Not you, God. So he brings his vegetables up there. And when God looked at Cain, it wasn't that God was having a meltdown over vegetables. Like he's some, you know, divine meat eater, not a vegan. He looks at Cain and he says, I see where your heart is. And you're not into this. You're just going through the motions. So I'm not receiving what you presented to me. And Cain proves that his heart's not in it because he pitches a tantrum tantrum and he gets mad with God. Now what is he trying to teach us here by faith? Faith acts. Faith demonstrates itself because you see if I really believe that Jesus is the son of God if I really believe that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords 
If I really believe that that blood that stained that cross 2,000 years ago was divine blood poured out, if I really believe that He rose as the King of kings, the triumphant over death and sin and the devil and everything three days later, if I really believe that He is who He says He is and who the Bible attests to Him, then when I look at my life and I go to worship Him and serve Him, I don't walk through my life like Cain and say, I'm going to get you this and get you that and keep the best back for me. I say, Jesus, you are worthy of the best that I have. You were worthy that the first that I have. I'm not going to give you, Jesus, the leftovers. I'm going to give you what comes first in my life. You take top priority. And the fact that in my worship, in my service, and how I live my life, Jesus, you are number one, is my statement of faith in the awesomeness, in the kingship, in the worthiness of who you are. What does my life say to Jesus about what I really believe about him. Not what I give intellectual assent to, but what I really believe about him. He wraps up this passage of what we're going to look at today. Verse 5, by talking about a guy by the name of Enoch. Enoch had an interesting life. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, Before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. How did good old Enoch get the faith thing done? He just walked with the Lord every day. He just pleased the Lord every day. He just gave God his best day after day after day. Exciting days, boring days, didn't matter. God got the top every day. He didn't live out of excitement. He didn't live out of thrills. He didn't live out of God having to entertain him every day in order for him to serve God. He just got up every day and he said, Lord, I'm going to walk a little bit closer to you today. I'm going to continue to serve you today. I'm going to continue to put one foot in front of another and walk with you today. And it's not really important to me whether this excites me or not or whether this you know, gets, up, gets it for me or not. This is about getting it for you. And we're just going to take one step at a time and we're going to keep doing this. And the day came and God says, you know something, Enoch, you are so close to me that death's not going to even get in the way. So you're not going to die. I'm just going to translate you straight to heaven because you're that close to me. You see, faith ultimately demonstrates itself not in fireworks, not in excitement, not in entertainment, but just getting up every day and saying, I'm going to walk with Jesus today. I'm going to serve Jesus today. I'm going to love Jesus today. Whether I feel like it or not. Whether the circumstances of life lend themselves in that direction or not. Because my hope is built on nothing else than His blood and His righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, We want to ask that this day you would continue to teach us how we can walk close to you. That Jesus, you would continue to teach us what the walk of faith is about. That it is grounded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we have been given the title to the promises of God, the deed to your promises. 
But we just have to choose to know those promises and live in and live out of those promises. That Lord, we choose as Abel did to give you the first, to give you the best. And we choose, Lord, as Enoch to quietly, deliberately, with determination to walk with you. That Jesus, we are not interested in being entertained by you. We are interested in worshiping you. And Lord, we grab hold of those things we hope for. Your resurrection, the certainty of it, the certainty of your second coming, the blessed hope that you've given us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you are here in this room or if you're listening through multiple venues that we use to share this service with folks, and you have never given your life to Jesus, you've never chosen to follow Him, to belong to Him, then I want to encourage you and ask you to pray a simple prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, This day, I give my life to you. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would purify me, cleanse me of sin. Jesus, I want to belong to you. And if you made that decision, I want to ask that you do one of two things. If you are here that you let us know after the service today so that we can encourage you and I can get into your hands a little book that will help you grow in your walk with the Lord. And if you're listening or watching by some of our different social media platforms, if you would let us know, we will be more than happy to send that book to you to help you grow in your relationship, your new relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to right now worship you in your name. Amen.